You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Exodus 14, verse 14. Exodus 14, verse 14. Stand with me, if you will, please. And let's read the scripture just a little bit together, all right? Then I've got some feedback down here, a little feedback. Thank you. That's not the problem of the sound man. It's the problem of the sound system, which we are working as hard as we can to uh, correct. Every week we make a few more changes, but uh, about as rapidly as we can make changes in this system, which is now 14 years old. It was state-of-the-art 14 years ago, but you know what that is in terms of electronics. It's not state-of-the-art now. So every time we make a change, it seems like for each change we make, there are two things that we need to fix. And so uh, you be praying. We may need to just go up there, Glenn, lay hands, lay hands on the sound system. Or we could lay hands on the sound system if you want to. I, you know, I, sometimes it's neither the sound system nor the sound man. It's the preacher. You know, I got a problem with myself. All right. Well, I want to read you one verse, verse 14, Exodus chapter 14. And then I want to speak this evening on the subject of problems. Problems, your problems, my problems, problems. That's the issue this evening. Look at verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Israel had a problem. Moses had a problem. Pharaoh didn't know it, but he and his charioteers had a problem. But the Lord shall fight for you, he said, to Moses and to Israel, and you shall hold your peace. Actually, these are Moses' words to Israel when they were literally scared to death. Pharaoh's army was behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. Whatever were they going to do, the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Father, I pray, trusting that we will be able to glean from this passage of Scripture all that you would have us to receive this evening. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. At lunchtime, a lady walked up to me and said, uh, you know, that passage of Scripture is a Bible promise that means a lot to me. That lady is here this evening. She said, that Bible promise means a lot to me. Well, I didn't tell her at the time, but that passage of Scripture also means a great deal to her pastor. You know, um, preachers in Baptist churches go through an interesting experience from time to time. It doesn't happen often in one person's life. It seems like some people's life, it happens more often than others. And that may be a, more a reflection of their own dissatisfaction than the will of God. But in, in Baptist churches anyway, when a, when a pastor... Uh, resigns and assumes the responsibility of another church and the pulpit is uh, vacated, well then churches normally appoint a pulpit committee or pastor search committee and they send them out, you know, hither and yon throughout the convention, listening to men, talking with them, seeking the person who is to come and be their pastor. Some years ago, I was pastoring, uh, in fact, we were in seminary and uh, just, just then getting out of seminary, as a matter of fact, and God was blessing, and uh, I was pastoring the First Baptist Church of Mansfield, Texas. Mansfield is in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. Its claim to fame is that it is the home of the world's only year-round indoor rodeo. 
to my knowledge, there's not a day in the year that they do not have some kind of rodeo event at the Cowbell Rodeo Arena in Mansfield, Texas. That was our claim to fame. But we, Jeannie and I were having a wonderful time at the First Baptist Church of Mansfield. The church had doubled in size in little less than two years. We had built a brand new auditorium, uh, bought extra land for a new space. We were adding uh, uh, staff members. I mean, the Lord was just blessing us mightily. In February of uh, 1972, a man called me from uh, up here in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, as a matter of fact. And he said, Tom, he said, um, I would like to present your name to the pastor search committee of uh, the Eastwood Baptist Church here in Tulsa. And um, Eastwood Baptist Church at that time was about the same size church, as a matter of fact, as the church that I was pastoring. And, um, you know, we were just having a wonderful time. And I said, I don't think I'd like for you to do that. And he said, well, I want you to pray about that. And you, uh, you call me and, and let me know. He said, you know, you could send me a biographical sketch and I would be really thrilled to place your name before this church so that you could uh, be considered by their pulpit committee. Well, that was just, as Jeannie will tell you, all of our married life and all of my ministerial life, just exactly the opposite of the way I think things ought to be done. Um, and so I told the man on the phone, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will pray about it, and I'm going to do exactly what God tells me to do. Well, I had a problem now. You know, I had uh, uh, a wonderful church that the Lord had uh, blessed us in. We were having the time of our lives. Two of our children had been born while we were in that church, and, man, we were just so happy. The church was growing. But now I had a man who was wanting me to give him an answer. Well, as I was reading the Scripture, God brought me to Exodus 14, verse 14, which says, Hold your peace, and I shall fight for you, says the Lord your God. By the way, that verse became the underpinnings for a decision I had made earlier, but continued until this very day, and that was that I would never submit a resume, that I would never recommend myself, or nor would I ever, ever ask anybody to recommend me for anything, not just as a pastor, just for anything. Because the, the issue is the Lord. It's not, it's not within me. That's not something you seek. So I, I called the man. I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think the Lord would give me freedom. As a matter of fact, I think the Lord would be very displeased if I asked you to recommend me, if I encouraged that, and if I sent you the information that you desired. As far as I'm concerned, the issue is closed. Well, uh, it was closed as far as I was concerned. A month or two passed, and our minister of music in the church uh, uh, informed me that we were hosting a choir from a church. I didn't pay much attention to it. Uh, a lot of churches, you know, wanted to come to Dallas to do mission work because it was close to Six Flags. And so uh, uh, we were always hosting these, these choir groups. And so, uh, you know, we, sure enough, we hosted this group, and we put the posters up on the... And I was walking down the hallway, and I looked at the poster in the name of the church, and, and I said, well, I'll be... It was the same church, as a matter of fact. And I looked at the name of the minister of music, and when I had been just a teenage boy, I had been in that man's choir. I thought, well, that's really interesting. And so, uh, same church the guy wanted to recommend me to. I said, well, I'll, I'll find out from them who their new pastor is. Well, the choir showed up, and they sang, and some people came around to me afterwards, and they said... Um, Tom, we, we really would like for...
for you to come up and share with our church. I said, look, I'm, I'm not interested in that. God's blessing. They said, no, no, we'd like for you to come tell us about this incredible bus ministry that you folks have started here at Mansfield. Would you just do that? I said, well, if I'm ever in the area, I'll let you know, and I could come over to the church and share. Well, sure enough, in May of, uh, of that year, I was uh, in the area, and I went over to the church, and I talked with them about starting a bus ministry. In fact, we uh, laid out the organization to help them start their very first bus ministry. And um, while we were out eating with them on that Sunday, uh, one of the men from the pastor search committee was with us, and he said, I'd like to ask you something. And I sort of shuddered. He said, you know, and he named the name of a man who is a very, very good friend of mine. He said, do you know this man? I said, yeah, I know him. He said, would he make a good pastor for our church? I said, he would make a great pastor for your church. They said, could you arrange a way for us to talk with him? I said, I sure can. So I went back, you know, to Texas, and I called the man, and I, I you know, said, boy, I hope you know, they're going to call you, but I said, I hope you'll talk to him. This is an incredible church. You will love that church, and I think you would really enjoy being up there. It would be just, a, as far as I can see, just a perfect fit. The next day, however, uh, Jeannie and I were reading the Bible together, and I said, Jeannie, does this verse say to you what it says to me? And she said, it sure does. And uh, I wrote in my Bible in May of 1972, I will be the next pastor of Eastwood Baptist Church. I just wrote it down. Now, in the meantime, I'm helping them get together with my friend and calling them and, you know, one thing or the other and things are going along. Well, time rolls on. And uh, my friend, whom I think is going to go there to be pastor, my friend calls me one day, and he says to me, uh, uh, you know how things are going? I say, great, how about you? He said, oh, man, he said, I've been praying about this church in Tulsa and everything. I said, well, I hope you'll pray about that. And um, uh, he said, no, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'm not going to go. He said, I'm really not going to. He said, I won't tell you something about that church. He said, that church. And see, God just took away his vision. It's not that the man was, if, if I mentioned his name, you'd know who he is. It's not that the man did not have clear vision and clear sight and was capable as a pastor, but God just blinded his eyes to the possibilities. He said, that church, he said, they've got just a few hundred people. They're landlocked, three and a half acres. They'll never grow. It's a pipe dream. They're just, you know, just, he said, I am not going. Now, he said that to me on a, on a Tuesday. On Wednesday, a mutual friend of ours called and said, Tom, is so-and-so, naming that man, going to Eastwood Baptist Church? I said, well, you know, I said, it's really crazy. He called me yesterday and said he wasn't going. He said, well, what do you think about that? I said, do you really want to know? He said, yeah, I want to know. I said, well, I said, this is really strange. I've never done this before in my life. I said, I think I'm going to be the next pastor of that church. I said, the reality is, it's either going to happen real soon or a long time from now because we're about to get in some things here that are going to take a long time to finish. He said, well, that's very interesting. Now, by his own statement, he never talked to another soul about that. On Thursday of that week, I was uh, in the office of the church getting my mail because Jeannie and I and the girls were driving up here to uh, my folks' house to celebrate a birthday. And uh, the phone rang. And it was the chairman of that search committee. And he said, uh, Tom, he said, I got an apology to make to you. He said, uh, for several months now, we've, we've known that you ought to be the pastor of our church, but he said, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law are members of that church, and it would be a little awkward for us to come and hear you preach. And I said, well, that's very interesting. I said, if you know that I'm supposed to be the pastor, why do you need to come hear me preach? He said, that's a good question. I don't guess we do. He said, uh, 
Uh, but we were really convinced about that. He said, are you ever going to be in Oklahoma for anything? I said, well, as a matter of fact, my, my motor is running on my car out here. My family is in the car. The car is packed. I'm leaving as soon as I put down this phone and driving to Oklahoma City. Well, the end result was they flew over and picked us up, and we flew back with them. And a couple of weeks later, I preached a view of a call. A couple of weeks later, I was there. And looking back on it, I see that God did exactly what he said he would do. He said, hold your peace. You shut up. You be quiet. And I will fight for you, says the Lord your God. And that ushered in a period of several years of wonderful, wonderful ministry. Ralph and I served on the staff there together along with others whom you know and had a wonderful time and church grew to, uh, I guess, about the size of uh, First Southern at that time, about 25, 2,600 people in Sunday school. Just incredible years because God did exactly what he said he would do. Hold your peace and I shall fight for you, says the Lord your God. Now, God gave me that Bible promise when I had a problem, a perplexity in my spirit. Lord, what do I do? And I want to just, just talk with you for a few moments about problems. And I want to mention three things, and these are all found in this one verse of Scripture. I want to mention three things about problems, perplexities, moments of testing, moments when, when you're in your mind, you're just saying, Lord, what do I do? Where, how do I proceed? Where do I go from here? I want to give you three thoughts about these kind of problems in your life. First of all, problems, difficulties, perplexities, first of all, are common to us all. They're common to man. You're going to have them. The idea that becoming a Christian is going to make your life less trouble-filled is an incorrect idea. I want to remind you that when the early followers of Jesus decided that they were going to go public with the information that they believed he had died for sinners, paid the price for our sins, risen from the grave and is alive, and had ascended to heaven and was coming again, when they went public with that message, all it did was create problems for them. Intense persecution. They were scattered across the world. They didn't know whether the next knock at the door was going to be another believer saying, let's go worship, or whether it was going to be a soldier saying, let's go to the Colosseum where you'll be killed. So the, the thought that knowing Christ as your Savior is going to make your life troubleless is an incorrect thought. Problems are common to us all. Notice what he says, the Lord shall fight for you. In that very statement, there is an indication that there is a battle to be waged, right? There's a fight that's going on. I have said it before. The language of the Bible, if you think that it's all, you know, flowers and no bees, uh, you know, you're, you're crazy. The, 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 the language of the Bible, as I've said before, is not the language of the armchair, it's the language of the arena. And there are words in the Bible that tell us we're going to have problems. Put on the whole armor. 
For we wrestle not. But it doesn't say hey, we don't wrestle against anything. It says we just don't know what we're wrestling against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so forth. And so you're going to have perplexities. You're going to have things that are going to come to you and you're going to say, I cannot figure this out. This is, a, this is so crazy. And, and, you know, there are going to be pressures on you like time and people will be demanding, hurry, make a decision. Come on, tell me what you think. And you're going to say, man, I've got to hurry up. And it's just people. And it's just the devil putting pressure on you. But people will be wanting decisions and you'll have to turn things in, get things ready and, and give some kind of response. And you, get, you can get in such a dither about this and you will begin feeling in one sense the way the Israelites felt. They had done something they thought that was right. They had come out of the land of Egypt where there was all nothing but slavery and hard work and bondage. And they had, they had come out. There had been a moment of incredible elation. Life was going good for them. I mean, they were just on the top of everything. And then the next moment, they turn around, and there is the Egyptian army behind them. And their heart just sunk. What in the world are we going to do now? And you may not have the Egyptian army hounding you, but you may have, um, you may have some physical malady that's hounding you, nipping at your heels. You may have some emotional struggle that's just, just like a little dog, yap, yap, yapping. And about every time you think that you're going to take a step that's positive, that you hear a growl or you hear a yap and you're constantly aware of this thing just after you all the time. You, they're, they're, they're just problems in life. They are common to us all. The second thing I want to say this evening is that problems are controlled. Problems are controlled. Turn with me in your Bible for just a minute to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now this is a verse of Scripture that you ought to have memorized. Probably you do have memorized. Now notice what he says here. There is no temptation, and that word temptation is testing. There is no test taken you, and here's this word common again, but such as is common to man. If you say, man, I'm going through something nobody else has ever gone through, you're wrong. It's common to man. But, he says, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. Now, he's not talking about a temptation of the flesh here necessarily like a lustful temptation. He's talking about a test. He said he will not suffer you to be tested above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. How many people here in this room have ever heard the name Samuel Plimsoll? Would you raise your hand? If you've ever heard the name Samuel Plimsoll, there's about a dozen, maybe a half dozen of us. P-L-I-M-S-O-L-L. -L. Anybody else? Samuel Plimsoll. Well, you should know about him. He is, the, he is the man who invented the famous Plimsoll line. How many of y'all have heard of the Plimsoll line? About the same number of people have heard of Samuel Plimsoll. You go to England and there's a statue of Samuel Plimsoll because he invented the Plimsoll line. Maybe I ought to tell you what the Plimsoll line is. The Plimsoll line is the line that they draw around an ocean-going ship. And you cannot load a ship 
below. In other words, until it sinks below that line. Because after it sinks below that line, it becomes unseaworthy. And so they draw a plimsoll line. If you look at most ships, they've got more than one because the density of the water is different in the tropics, for instance, than it is in uh, uh, the North Atlantic. And so they draw this line. They say, look, you can load the boat to this point, but you can't load the thing any further. Okay, now here is what this is saying. God has drawn around your life a plimsoll line of sorts. Now, in, in, you know, you could illegally load a ship beyond its capacity, but God's not going to let you be loaded beyond your capacity. He says here he will not allow you to go through a test that is so big it cannot be handled. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. So this problem is common to you. It's controlled by God. Now let's see the last truth. It's not only common and controlled, it's conquerable. It is conquerable. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Did the children of Israel come out of it alive? Absolutely. They didn't just come out of it. They came out in great victory. They didn't just get through by the skin of their teeth. As a matter of fact, they got through to the other side, and we're going to get at this point as we go through Exodus, when they just stopped and had a happy, you know, they had a hallelujah hootenanny. I mean, they just had a Holy Ghost runaway fit. It was incredible. Moses even sang. Can you imagine? Here's a guy, he, he devised a psalm, and they, they sang it, the psalm of Moses. As a matter of fact, his sister and Aaron put the thing together and did the music probably, but it, it was an incredible thing. I mean, this was, this was a moment of great jubilation. They won. It was conquered. And I want to say to you that, that problems are going to happen in your life. God is not going to let you have a problem that will load you beyond your capacity by his grace to deal with it, but it is by his grace. And when you appropriate his grace, you will find you can win. You can conquer. Now, Conquering doesn't mean, we read, hold your peace here. That doesn't mean don't do anything. Sometimes the, the greatest energy you can exert is the energy to be quiet. But he had him do some things. He said, you know, stretch out your rod, walk across. There was some cooperating with God. So it's not, it, it's, it's taking your problem and giving it to the Lord and then listening for his instructions and finally obeying. Taking your problem, giving it to the Lord, listening to his instructions, and obeying. The Bible says that God will perfect those things which will concern you. The Bible says that if you commit your way to the Lord, he will bring it to pass. The Bible says that you can win over the problems of life. If God is willing to speak to one man as he holds in his hand the destiny of over a million people, and if in a moment of crisis he can handle it, 
Egyptian army breathing down their neck, Greek, grumbling people making his life miserable. If God can say, I will show you a way that you can experience incredible victory, then God can handle whatever problem you're facing. You must give it to him, listen to him, and do what he says. Father, I pray thanking you for the problems of life because it is the problems of life which drive us to you. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit in these moments, especially this moment of invitation, would bring to this altar any person with troubled heart, any person with perplexity, any person with problems who would say, I, I realize these are common. I thought I was the only person in the world who had this problem. I realize it's common. I realize it's control. Lord, I realize you're not going to let this problem crush me. I can let it crush me, but you are not going to let it crush me because by your grace I can conquer. By your grace I can win. And Father, I pray you'd bring to this altar each person who with burdened heart, perplexed mind, would say, I want to conquer. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Our praise singer is going to lead us in a song of invitation. We close our services with a time of invitation because we believe that it is appropriate to respond to what we have heard. Jesus always asked for a response. He didn't just say, think on that. He said, go show yourself to the priest or stretch out your hand or go wash yourself. Or, go tell your friend. There was always a response of faith. And this is your moment to respond in faith to what you have heard. Now, it could be that you have made a decision in earlier services and we've not introduced you. Maybe you joined church this morning. We've not introduced you. Well, I'm going to ask you to come be seated here at the front to your right where it says seating for new members. It could be that you would be honest enough to admit tonight that you have not settled the issue of your eternal destiny. You're not quite sure about it. You want to go to heaven. You hope you'll go to heaven. You suppose you go to heaven, but you don't know you go to heaven when you die because you do know this. You're a rebel. You're a sinner. And that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's only by trusting Jesus that you will receive eternal life. And so tonight, that's your, that's your decision, to trust in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to just come and say to one of these counselors, tonight, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus tonight. It could be that God's speaking to your heart about becoming a part of this church family. I hope he is. I hope he is. I can't think of a place where I'd want to be other than right here at First Southern if I lived in this area. And I would urge you to make that decision tonight. Just make your way to an aisle, come forward, tell a counselor, look, we want to join this church, I want to join this church. Could be that God's calling you. Maybe something you've heard tonight has, in your own heart, been a call from God to you and you want to say yes to him. Could be vocational, some kind of ministry, missions. You've heard Dave mention missions tonight. God's speaking to your heart. Would you do that tonight? Would you answer tonight? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, I pray trusting now that your Holy Spirit will do the work of convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Bring, Lord, to this altar those who will say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name.